Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Broadway Breakdown. I am one of your queens on the pod, Matt Koplick. And I am the other one who just got off the pod, John Miscavige. Um, <laughs> our energy levels are could not be more different right they could now. Not be. Like you were so like thirty and thriving, and I'm so like um, seventy and dead. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you saying I'm thirty. That's a fucking lie, everybody. Um, He's thirty two. <laughs> I just moisturize every day. Uh, no, honestly, it's partly the fact that I just got off work and I had a lot of chocolate before this, so I'm like oh, bouncing off the walls. Nice. Yeah, and John is uh, valiantly here with us. He's not well, but he let me speak. Oh my god, I'm not well. <laughs> <laughs> He's not well, but he loves me and he loves this podcast, so he decided to commit to it. And we have a special guest who's going to be joining us today. Yes, Broadway producer Lucas McMahon. Lucas is running a little bit late, which happens when you're busy and very important. Yes. So, uh, I, uh, but I had some business that I wanted to cover anyways. Um, basically, I texted Matt last night because I just had this epiphany. Um, I didn't realize that high schoolers knew about podcasts. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess it's because I didn't discover them until I was about 28. And so... Um, I, yesterday, you know, I, I've, I've had some really fun, cool, little stroke the ego interactions with people on social media um, that have expressed that they are fans of the podcast. Um, I've been, like, tagged in posts before um, about people who listen to this and kind of quoting things. And, you know, that's always cool. You're, you, you know. I, no, I've, I've, I've had none of that. Well, no I'm sexy. Um, I'm like a really sexy lady. Oh my lady. god, people just like got on this podcast. I should just go. Away. No, 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 no. I don't mean it. I don't mean it like that. I just mean if you were to reach out to one of us, I you are much smarter and probably more intimidating. I'm kind of the um, attainable one. I'm the every gay, every man gay. gay. I, and I will be fair. I am not very prominent on social media. Yeah, I'm like not. I have a Facebook. I don't use exactly. it. Exactly. And my Instagram is like once a week, if if yeah. that. And, and, and you know, anyway. and you know, some, sometimes things of mine go a little viral, and so, <laughs> so it just opens that door. Um, 
Sure. <laughs> sure, Jan. Um, but anyways, so I, I've witnessed that there are some youngins who listen to it, but I thought they were college age or whatnot. And then um, last night, and I'm sure you're listening, and I don't mean this to knock you. I, appreci- I appreciate you, we, listener. We see you. We appreciate you. I see you. I hear you. Um, I... I was just worried that to catch a predator was going to jump out <laughs> at any moment. Because basically, I get this message last night on Facebook Messenger, and I uh, it was from someone that I know has tagged me before and has mentioned that they're a fan of the podcast. So they, they were kind of on my radar, mm-hmm. um, but I don't really know them. Um, and they sent me a Facebook message last night, and it, I, I was I kind of thought, oh, okay. And so I read it, and it was someone going, um, hey, I... <laughs> Hold on, maybe I should just read it. Um, they said to me, I am saying words to fill the time while I get this up on my phone. Here we go. They go, hey, sorry for the random Facebook message, but I'm in dire need of help. My senior quote is due tomorrow, and I have a list I need to narrow down. And then they send a bunch of quotes that actually are, are quotes that I find funny as well from different TV shows, different things, blah, 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 blah different musical theater quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mind, I went, senior quote? I, I thought, oh, I guess, do you, in college, do you do senior quotes? In, in my mind, I, just, I, I thought, of course, this person who's a listener who, uh, they have to be in college. Um, high school. Anyone who's under the age of 18 doesn't know how to search for this. They can't find us. We're not responsible for corrupting the youth. And then, so I, I kind of I kind of sent back something that was on, along the lines of, haha, am I qualified to do this? And then he said something like, you are probably overqualified to pick a high schooler's senior quote. And I just said, you know, just a re- immediately flashing red lights. Chris Hansen walked out of a different dorm room and said, what do you think you're doing here, John? It was, I mean, it was just an et- episode of To Catch a Predator. I, um, I, and so it just took me aback. Um, li- reader, I'm not shaming you. I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you seeking the wisdom of someone who is obviously much smarter than everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone <laughs> the, the look on Matt's face. Um but I just, uh, it, it just, and so I texted Matt and just kind of a, a tizzy going, youngins, listen to this and take our advice or maybe think things that we're saying are, I just got worried that we, <laughs> that there's a lawsuit of brewing. Oh my God. <laughs> well, okay. This is coming off by the fact, by the way, anyone who actually listens to my part of this podcast knows that I always talk about <laughs> oh how my, fam- my family Someone has a have- chip on their shoulder. Do you need some dip for that chip, bitch? <laughs> I do. I'm very earnest. Very earnest. I really do. Uh, I talk about how my family doesn't know how to find podcasts, except for like my cousin and my sister. Hi, Scott. By the way, if you're listening, hey, bitch. Um, Hi, Scott. But he, he's the only one. My dad asks me at dinner last night, "How do I get your podcast to play in the car?" And I go. Abort, abort, well, abort. Well, I, I say, I say, I'm not going to tell you. He goes, why? I go, I don't need you to hear how I talk on this podcast. And he goes, what makes you think I haven't listened to it already? And I go, <gasps> I go, I, I, my a, butthole just literally, yeah, it just, yeah, oh dear God. Mm-hmm. And I just go, I'm trying to play it it's so cool. It's like if your parents catch porn on your computer or something, like, what do you mean? And yeah. he, and he's like, oh, I've listened to it. And I go, 
please tell me just the first episode. He goes, no, I'm not going to tell you how many, but I've listened to quite a lot. And he goes, and I know how you talk now. <gasps> and I just go, ah! Oh, no. This is the same man, though, by the way, who introduced me to Boys in the Band, The Birdcage, um, Some Like It Hot, who literally, hit, like, I think Peter Koplick's moment of 2018 was going to see boys in the band live on stage on broadway that was like his moment supreme he was so excited and then the first thing he said when he walked into the theater was not a lot of women here billy i beg to differ with you how do you mean you're the top yeah you're an arrow color you're the top you're a cooling so here's the thing uh when, after we recorded the last episode, I ended up watching The Princess Switch with one Sarah <gasps> Divini. Hi, Sarah. You got to shout it out again. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what did you think? Oh, my God. We lived for all of it. Uh, my- so, the, so the old man that, like, constantly pops up, the one who's like, how could I be in Chicago? Who ha- serves no purpose. No purpose. But he's, like, all over the place. We just call- And he had his no name. We just called him Magique. Yeah. Um, so he walked around. We're like, there's Magique again. And the movie also has this weird trend where people will just... Uh, divulge personal information to strangers exactly so it's delicious it's amazing so the basic premise is that vanessa hudgens is a baker in chicago who hearts whose heart gets broken and her best friend and sous chef which like bakers don't have sous chef i know they don't i know that was it was just such it was such a cherry on the cake which is a phrase i'm bringing back from last week it was such a cherry on the cake and also even though they filmed the entire thing in Los Angeles, I know that they did because the palace they use in Belgravia, the fake Genovia country, the palace is the same hall they use on Gilmore Girls for all of the Chilton yes. events. It's so, it's <laughs> so obviously It's so obviously ridiculous. Like, but to like make sure that we all understand that they are from Chicago, Vanessa Hudgens is always wearing a Chicago baseball cap. No. And it just all, it's just a baseball cap that says Chicago in cursive. It's great. But so she's like, I'm not going to do this whole baking contest. Whatever. I, I like order. I like plans. She runs into her ex and his new girlfriend who's like oh i don't know who you are he's never said anything about you let me tell you everything that's going on in my life and i'm like no and i remember saying to sarah it's like she's saying a lot of information to someone who to her is a stranger and then the same thing happens later with like the queen of belgravia talking to Majik about like oh there's there are duplicates of them and i'm like she's as far as she knows he's just the gardener why is she telling him all this there's also a scene where someone falls from a possibly fourth story balcony yes. and doesn't die doesn't die doesn't even get really injured no, there's a moment where i'm like he's dead because his eyes are closed and then all of a sudden he groans and then he just pops back yep. up like fucking jason and friday the 13th it's insane this movie if you have not watched it i cannot i just cannot i know it's not christmas anymore i cannot mm. recommend it enough also has one of the best just uh the little girl oh i call her expositional eight-year-old the little girl that keeps popping up who, I'm sorry, I love supporting child actors, but she is without a doubt the worst child actor well, ever. In her defense, literally every She last... has no defense. No. She's trash. In... <laughs> Fuck you, eight-year-old and all the high schoolers who support us. Yeah. Um, this this whole episode is basically just we hate children. No. But no, I know no. what you mean. No, this girl, this poor girl, all of her dialogue, granted most child actors are terrible, but and maybe she'll grow up to be good. I hope she is. But her all of her dialogue is simply exposition. Like, it's always, Vanessa Hudgens, since your boyfriend of three years dumped you two months ago, or my father, whose wife left him nine no, years ago. No, I'm not ago. talking about that little girl. I'm talking about talking the about? little girl who has two brief cameos. Who at the In the end, orphanage? Yes, who at the end tugs on her 
wedding gown or whatever, whatever it is, and goes, are you a real princess? Like, she seems like a Katya character. Oh, She's, my God. She, I'm so she, sorry. I thought you were talking about the expositional eight-year-old. No, not... Because fuck her, because I don't care about her. She was annoying as fuck. But what I'm talking about is the, is the little girl who I was scream laughing at, who... I, I, Are you a real person? She, yeah, she, 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 she was the creepiest little eight. I think they wanted a, a cute eight year old, and for some reason, they found the sociopath eight year old who who was sitting there just going. Oh gee, are you a real princess? It's so, it's so bizarre. The entire and movie just, is bonkers, and it I is, love everything it is, about it. If there isn't a drinking game to it, I need to create one because yes. Um, I was she, dying. Well, you can do a drinking game for schedule because she does say it I a did, bit. I told you. I told yes. you about the sed- she, schedule. Schedule. She does say it a bit. Not as often as I was hoping about it because I made a count of it because you told me about it. So yeah. I literally, I was, I'm such an asshole. I was tallying it as It has to be somewhere it. in the 20s. No, it's not. It's um because she does, because the Duchess or whatever doesn't show up until like 20 minutes into the movie. Well, then um, you, you, and you and I just have different ears. She, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying because it's not a lot. It's just a lot in a very short amount of time. So, like, uh, for, like, half an hour, she says it, like, 15 times. And then oh she doesn't gosh. say it again. Here comes Matt again with his facts and his <laughs> reason and just truly just trying to This is why nobody asks out. me to pick their senior yearbook quote. Because I'm a... Because you're not the fun mom. I'm not. I'm the fun mom. Sure, you might die. Sure, I don't care about you. Sure, I don't give a fuck about any you're, of... You're Julia Roberts and I'm Susan anybody. Sarandon. It's fine. Well, everyone's always known that. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm Susan Sarandon. I don't want to be. Neither does she. You best believe Susan Sarandon does not want to be Susan Sarandon Who anymore. wants to peek at Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oof. I know. So, let's pretend for a second that Lucas just walked through the door, and I'll say, "Here's Lucas. Let's take a short break, and then we'll cut to back to the with you, and then cool. we'll be like, and hey, Lucas is here. Cool, great. I will continue to talk right now and pretend that we're having a conversation. <gasps> Lucas is here. <laughs> oh my god, that was the most set up bullshit I've ever witnessed. But yes, Lucas is here. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. <laughs> Well, guys, we're back, and Matt almost just killed himself. Um, <laughs> he's, for... he's so excited about our guest that he tripped over himself. <laughs> but over we're all mouth. here. We're alive. And Hello. we have with us Lucas McMahon. Hi, Lucas. Hello. How you doing? We're... I feel like to say for the record, I don't think I am worth falling over for in the manner that you just did. Um, I and I, I don't think it was me. I do think it was just how hard it is to push the button on that recording. That's it is. a difficult no, job. Don't cut yourself short. You That's know? a very nice suit you're wearing, Lucas. <laughs> oh, thank you. You are dressed exceptionally well. <laughs> John and I look like garbage. Fire well, I'm, I'm wearing a unicorn t-shirt and like an old Navy sweater. And well, I'm listen, like, hey. when you're doing a podcast in which people will definitely not see what you're wearing, it's important to look your best. That's, That's very true. true. You know. Um, no, you're. I feel they can they can feel it through the airwaves. Uh, I mean, I can feel while the they're listening. Of that while they're listening. <laughs> That's like I, I brushed will. my teeth before this, and because I, I was like, oh, I have to have fresh yeah. breath for the podcast. Listen, <laughs> if we if we do this right, they will they will be able to visualize the pattern of my tie while mm. you know people are at the gym or yeah. at work or whatever they're doing while they're listening to the <laughs> podcast on on the toilet, uh, <laughs> maybe while you're at a show. I don't know. <laughs> 
Waiting in um, line for rush tickets to. Oh I will say it's like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and almost always I'm in transit or doing something else or doing, which I think is is ninety percent of people watch podcasts. But there's like been a couple podcasts that were so engrossing that I just sat and namely I'm gonna it was Dirty John which was this where I just sat in my apartment on a Saturday. And listen to it like a radio play. Like I was an old man in 1941 yeah. listening to his stories on the radio. <laughs> I was like, I have a TV. <laughs> I, I, I have the ability to go places. Like I, and I was literally just sitting there listening to, you know, this this huckster, uh, uh, you know, destroy this family <laughs> well, as my Saturday. That was what I did on my day off. So. Let's hope that that's how people listen to this episode. I, like, yeah. a lo- I want it to be like that, but more Glenn Close yes. and Fatal Attraction. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. see, I did, yeah. I did that once for a period of my life last year where I was listening to podcasts in a similar manner, but for some reason it was always while I was taking baths. I don't I don't know why. I, I had to drop. That sounds hazardous, actually. That sounds like you're going to ruin your phone or, or Well, uh, I, I had a Bluetooth speaker that is waterproof that I would keep and then I would keep my phone in the other Got in it. another okay, room because nice. I'm I know not to trust myself. But yeah, I would draw a bath. It was very 1940s. It was very yeah. it was very film noir. It was I just, very gay. It's funny you say that about your phone. Is a little bit of a tangent, but I just went to this conference tangent, where there was this uh, there was a uh, speaker who was talking about communication and basically revealed that the. <laughs> Scientists have determined that even the presence of your phone in your presence, just seeing it, sends your brain into fight or flight mode. And it was like the clouds opened up on my life. <laughs> I was like, that is so fucking true. Um, I just yeah, say, I you just gave me an epiphany. I, yeah. Thank you. I just want to say, I haven't reformed any of my behaviors. My no, phone no. is always still in my presence. But <laughs> That's how we all But are. I did understand the like general anxiety we all have at all times mm. uh, based on that statement. Oh, yeah. I, Once again, made no, uh, no made no, no change to my yeah. behavior. But <laughs> yeah, but I know myself a little better now. Which it's is good nice. to be aware. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about people, but I do know television, and that's pretty much everything on television. All these characters have epiphanies and don't change. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. So let's get into the deets, everybody. In yes. case you're wondering why you should listen to Lucas McMahon today on this podcast, let me run it down for you. You shouldn't end the podcast. Should. <laughs> end the podcast. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, Lucas. Please subscribe, like us five stars. Um, Lucas McMahon is the Brony producer. I mean, that's true. That like, is, that is I'm not true. even like that's not a lie. That's not. I'm not leaning into anything. Yeah, Lucas that is, is a, true. Let me say that. Let me say that in real person voice. Lucas is a Broadway producer. <laughs> he has produced something rotten, Pan to God. Uh, Mike Birbiglia is the new one. Uh, you had another one recently. Play that goes play that goes wrong. Yeah. Yes, and then I saw I I went up on IBDB because I wanted to make sure I wasn't forgetting anything. You also produced the tour of Motown. Uh, but not Motown. I worked on Motown, so I so I should say I work uh, I work with a producer named Kevin McCollum, who yes. I've worked for uh, for about six worked with for about six and a half years now. So um, so when, when we were doing Motown, I was not a producer on Motown, but mm-hmm. I was uh, I did work on the show the whole time. So. Okay, cool, cool. Um, So yeah, I was. and how old are you, Lucas? <laughs> I'm 29. So everybody, anyone who tells you life's not a race, answer them with, "What about fucking Lucas McMahon?" <laughs> Just so that you is know, not true. We are all, uh, you know, we're all we're all in our own race. Don't bullshit. Don't us. fucking bullshit. Don't us. Us. Okay. Race. This is what stupid. kind of what kind of like think or like feel good about yourself kind of podcast? Okay. Do you think I, this I is? didn't bring you on to this podcast, Lucas, to have you make me feel good about myself. I am so sorry. Um, yeah. So, how did you get into producing? 
So I always kind of knew I wanted to be um, on the production end of theater. I fell in love with theater when I was a little kid, like most people did. Um, and uh, I just, I, I never, I remember I always say that like my first production I was in when I was, I think six um, or seven, and it was Snow White and the Five Dwarves because they did not have enough kids for seven. <laughs> Budget. So I feel like the, I've told this story recently. It's almost like who got cut. And I, and I was like, I, I believe what happened was it wasn't so much cutting whereas they combined two of the dwarves. So, like, there was one dwarf that was sleepy bashful, I believe. <laughs> because they... <laughs> whatever. I forget the woman's name who, like, directed it. But she, um, she just decided that, like, the emotions of sleepy and bashful were, like, somewhat uh, close enough to each other that that could just be one person. But sure. I also feel like that makes that character semi-depressed. You know, yeah. like, just dealing yes. with... He, dealing, yeah. dealing with deep yeah. depression yeah. and just not a, wanting to see Clinically depressed. Yeah. yeah. Walking Zoloft commercial. Can interact yes. with other people. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Sleep, yeah, that is true. It's not... Yeah, if someone was like, my friend, the two qualities I most associate with a person is they are always asleep and they are very bashful, I'd be like, they need to see a therapist immediately. <laughs> please seek... Please That's seek not it. good. Snow White and the Five Dwarfs brought to you by Zoloft. Zoloft. Yeah, we, 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 weren't, we weren't smart enough for a corporate sponsor to spend that. <laughs> I don't know if Zoloft Neither existed. But uh, so, um, so anyway, so I did that and I always... By the way, I was dopey, obviously. Um, so <laughs> but of course. <laughs> and uh, um, so I, even back then, I would say, like, I remember doing that. I remember I was way more interested in, like, all of the parents that they guilted into doing, like, the set and the <laughs> light board and the cause, like, all just mm-hmm. putting it together and, like, the <laughs> posters and crap. I, uh, I always thought that was way more interesting. And, and so at that age, I was like, I want to do, you know, I want to be on, like, that side of the, of the, um, of doing this, uh, which is, which is exceedingly odd for a child to be like, I want to be in, like, <laughs> Like you know, no, I don't want to be on stage. You can have that spotlight. Give me a mocker and a dream. (laughs) But um, so anyway, so that's kind of what I knew what I wanted to do. Flash forward to uh, high school, where I went to a high school where they had uh, a great theater program that involved um, the opportunities for students to direct and produce, um, and that's when I you know started producing things and really found I was like, this is what I love. This is kind of what uh, I feel like fits my skill set best and kind of thought maybe that's what it was but I didn't really know what it was so I started doing it and even that was a very you know low stakes version of it um uh but uh but I did love it so I went to um uh, I went to Northwestern University primarily because uh they had a huge student theater um community and that was super important to me um and so uh that was really great you know shout out to northwestern um, hey, hey northwestern <laughs> i was gonna just say they don't pay me but not only did they not pay me i paid them a lot say, you're, of you're money and they continue to ask me for more so yeah. <laughs> um but uh but anyway so um after college so during college i did several internships in uh new york i interned for uh, a press agency um that does broadway uh it's called the hartman group which mm-hmm. no longer exists um interned for that. a company called Serena coin which is an advertising and marketing agency yeah. that does uh broadway and uh, when i graduated um i had a job which was about a six-month gig um as the press agent for the william sound theater festival oh. um yeah, so um so and I was there the summer that they were doing uh 
Bradley Cooper and Patricia Clarkson were doing uh, the Elephant Man there, and Blythe Danner was doing this new play there, uh, that Bob Balaban was directing, and... Um, if only they had names there. Yeah. Those yeah. shows could have gone places. They, we, it was, I, was, I was an apprentice there, and my summer, we had none of that shit. It was <laughs> like... It was like two actors you never heard of doing True West. Yeah, like, why is no was, one showing up? It was like, oh, David I. Pierce and Tyne Daly were there. Um... <laughs> Doing uh, Meryl Streep was running concessions. Important to being earnest, and it was like so. It was this great group of people. Right around the time that I was actually about to go to Williamstown, uh, a uh, friend of mine from college um, who worked at uh, worked for uh, Kevin uh, McCollum was uh, Kevin McCollum used to have a, a business partner named Jeffrey Seller. They had a company called the Producing Office. Um, and they had uh, decided to split the company and, and um, do different things. And so uh, the uh, my friend who worked with them was like, hey, you know, Kevin's starting a company. He's kind of just looking for an assistant, man Friday, to like, kind of do everything. I think you guys would get along. Can I set up a meeting? And I was like, yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, Kevin had been someone who, you know, as someone who wanted to be a, a, a Broadway producer and was like, a huge nerd about all kinds of things uh, happening on Broadway. Like, you know, Kevin was a, a, a real kind of idol of mine. Um, I hope he doesn't listen to this because then he will never let me live down. <laughs> that he was an idol of yours? Saying it, but uh, no, he knows it. So um, so anyway, uh, we um, so I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and so we, uh, we met and basically, uh, you know, we hit it off um, and... After that, I, I essentially called him and said in, in a nice and politic way, like, I'm not going to let you not hire me. So, like, when am <laughs> what, I starting? What we got to do, yeah. Basically. So, uh, and he he foolishly took the bait. <laughs> and uh, So, anyway, so I started working there um, uh, September of 2012. Uh, and it was really like an old school uh, mentorship, which I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for. Uh, it was like every, you know, we were, it was... Uh, about nine months when I started is when we, we Motown opened up Broadway. Wow. Um, and so when I started, like the, a month afterwards, we were about to go into a, a lab um, for the show, a workshop for the show. And, uh, you know, I kind of assumed, I was like, I'm going to come here, I'm going to make appointments, I'm going to make, you know, uh, schedule things. And um, and from day one, Kevin Kevin was like, okay, we're going to go, we're, we have to go negotiate some contracts, so get up, come on, we're going to go do this. And he just took me to literally everything wow. possible for, you know, the entire year. Um, it was really, like, it was like, you know, it was, it was like, it was insane because it was like the best grad school you could ever help for. But, right. uh, but like, I was getting paid. It was insane. <laughs> um, I was like, don't, I, I just kept hoping that, like, he wouldn't figure out that I would do it for free. Because <laughs> then I wouldn't be able to buy food and, like, pay yeah. for rent. But, oh, right. But I was like, but I would have taken that deal. So so it was a really, it was really fantastic. And um, basically from there, it kind of grew. Uh, and, and what I did grew. Um, and, and because he had kind of allowed me to, you know, be a part of so much um, so early, I, I was able to kind of start uh, being a lot more useful to the company. Um, and now, you know, uh, about... Uh, six and a half years later, um, you know, basically, you know, we work together on on, on stuff, and, and I, I still work at the company called Alchemation, um, and you know, we kind of tag team stuff. I like to say sometimes if Kevin has like the eighty thousand foot view, I take like the sixty thousand foot view mm -hmm. um, on everything we're doing, and you know, we have a bunch of projects that we kind of uh, you know tag team on some of them. Some of them I kind of 
um, uh, do most of the day to day and 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 stuff. So it's uh yeah, it's great, and um and that's kind of the story in brief <laughs> in brief <laughs> which yes. was really really long with a lot of long tangents if anyone uh anyone who knows me and, and matt knows me knows that like in brief for me is like you're here like like three days later yeah. <laughs> i'm like i'm like the, and you're like this is the fucking short version it's like yeah this is his short <laughs> version well uh yes i do <laughs> lucas let the can out of the bag i have known lucas for 15 years everybody oh my god is wow. that how long it is uh yeah, sixteen. It'll be sixteen this summer. So we were thirteen years old at Stage Romantic Performing time. Arts Center. Oh my God. Yes, oh actually. So for those of you who find me insufferable with all my historical insight and knowledge, you why really are you have looking lo- at me? <laughs> why are you look at me when you say that? Who should I be looking at, John? Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you do have actually Lucas McMahon to blame for that. I will say because I was uh, very much a theater nerd all my life, and I like. I went to Stage Door for the first time believing that I knew the most any 13-year-old could know about Broadway. And, like, let me just be clear. I knew, like, statistics. I knew, like, I knew how many performances the original sounding music ran. Like, stupid number shit. I didn't know, like, a lot of historical background. Lucas, like, claps back at me very first. <laughs> no, first of all, you were very nice. He was the first run I ever made at Stage Door. We were roommates, thank God. But, um, literally, like, grabs me by the hand, tours me around Stage Door, and, like, goes through each theater one of the theaters' names was The Merman, in which Lucas then, like, gives me five minutes of historical knowledge about Ethel Merman. I was like, I don't know any of that shit. <laughs> and uh, then it just... By the way, it, was, it wasn't even called The Merman because of that. It was called The Merman because it was <laughs> next to an disgusting indoor pool. But That's the, why it was called The Merman? It, it was... It, I think it was partially both. I think it was, like, that was kind of the... They were like, oh, it's funny that it's, like, Ethel Merman and also this is... Shares a wall with a with the now no rotting pool. Yeah, they've yeah. they've taken out the pool. Mm, yes, it's now become a uh, theater in the round because they're like, what are we doing having two pools with yeah. kids who only want to do shows? When we were at, when we were at Seat Remainder, there was like some sort of presumption that they like maybe there would be some sort of like uh, wave of the, the kids there being like we want to do some sort of athletic activity. So, like, oh, yeah. we was got there a two basketball pools. hoop or anything? There was. Yes. There was no. one. But it's it was, one like, overgrown ba- and gross. And, and there was, one like, singular hoop. It was a one volleyball tournament. But, like, no one. And then everyone would, would, like, do free swim as one of their things. But not to swim. It was just to sit on the side and learn yeah. your lines. Like, it was oh, yeah. so... Well, because you weren't allowed in the it pool was, uh, unless you did the swim so, test. So most so kids were like, great, I just won't do the swim test. My very first summer, I did I did. I forgot that detail. Yeah. Well, no, I remember this. I remember this, and I'm quoted as saying this, by the way, in the New York Times for anyone who wants to find it. But my very first summer, I did it, and you, literally you and Brian Waller were standing by the pool going, Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, are we – because I came from a, from four summers of a sports yeah. camp, miserable four summers of my life, where that was mandatory. And I was like, are we supposed to do this? She's like, you don't – no, you don't no. have to. We're, like, no. doing fucking little women in the play, little women. And, like, I don't know, Maine. Why do you think you, the swim test is mandatory? Yeah, the, the swim test was not – super not mandatory. It was, it yeah. was a pretty, it was pretty hysterical. It yeah. was like the, um, but yeah, ever, ever since then, Sager has gotten, gotten wiser and they've just turned like every athletic yeah. facility they had has just become into, a into a theater or some sort of like rehearsal space. Do you know the volleyball tournament's still a thing though? Cause that's hysterical. It you, was, yeah. it was, it was like, <laughs> it was a cast cast volleyball tournament in which essentially it was like you, uh, groups of like 25 Truly unathletic, uncoordinated teenagers with equally, if not more so, um, unathletic and uncoordinated 
And I will, uh, well, I'm not going to say this on air. I was going to say, <laughs> they say were, okay. I was like, probably uh, drunk counselors. Um, yeah. Not the students. The, 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 no, count, the kids yeah. were up. But the, but the, the I mean, the, the counselors were like, yeah. they were just, well, yeah. allegedly, allegedly. They're so just going to call me and be like, I'm so mad at you. Does it still no. exist? Yeah. It stays oh, yeah. Very yeah. much so. Oh, my God. Yeah. Super absolutely. much so. It's, yeah. It's my first summer at Stage Door was probably the last summer that Stage Door was like truly Stage Door because it was, things were like falling apart run down oh, yeah, we were nice. we were doing super um on pc shows for kids i loved it i loved it so much they did they did follies yeah that was like 15 year olds did follies, follies. and yeah. it was oh my god it was like, the, like the young phyllis was older than the old phyllis here's the thing about stage <laughs> though the summer after i my after my first summer the movie camp came out which was based on and filmed at stage door true and like, oh, was it filmed there too oh, oh yeah. It was. yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah like everything was filmed in either the lc or the playhouse um which were two theaters at stage door. Yeah. Uh, but I remember, because the movie wasn't like this big blockbuster hit. Anna Kendrick always talks about like, oh, the movie totally bombed. And I'm like, it kind of put stage door on the map or back on the map anyway. Because yeah. after that, they were sold out every summer. Mm. Things were starting to get renovated. They were adding new theaters. They were doing more like commercially shows, which was fine. But I, I, I missed kids doing Follies and company. <laughs> like 17-year-old Jacob, now Kemp, singing being alive like he yeah. meant it i was like <laughs> stevie boost break my God, shattering that, that glass doing completely forgot about company yeah, yeah it was like company. every they were just like access your embittered like 35 year old everyone's well, like i'm 17 and i think life's great yeah, it's yeah. like well, nope I, we're gonna do these shows about disillusioned people looking oh, back yeah. on their past and struggling with their regrets <laughs> and the way yeah, that right in their real house i totally understand how contestants on reality shows become so crazy because when that becomes your world for so long you just stop seeing reality yes because kids would start kids would start predicting what shows were going to be like six months in advance and like well i heard from so-and-so and And then i remember my last summer or no sorry your last summer yes lucas left the summer before i did i found they so they stage show works in sessions one two and three each one's three weeks they do a whole round of new shows every session and you can do one you can do two you can do three lucas left at the end of second session as did i and I found out before we were leaving, they were doing the producers the third session, and uh, both of our mothers had told Connie Cottrell, who was basically in charge of picking the shows, for the last two years, that Lucas and I needed to do the producers yeah. together. Mm. And Connie was Robbed. like... Robbed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember Connie being like... still Con- better. Connie was like, it's too mature, it's too mature. And then that was the summer they do it, like Lucas's last summer, and they do it the session after he left. Yeah. And I threw such a fit that I look back on, I'm like... What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> There's so much more to life yes. than not doing the producers with your friend. Like, fuck off. No, there is. There although, I hope, I do hope that all of the campers take it as seriously. As oh, I hope so, too. I'm, well, they, I'm sure was, they do. And, I, yes, it was. I'm sure they do as well. Yeah. I will say, for any, for any parents out there, it's a really wonderful place to send your kid who's like... Oh, no, please do it. it. Please send your kid there. Um... But uh, but it it also is like an endless source of comedy in my life because you look, oh, yeah. you look back on it and you're like number one, what were we doing? And number two, why did we care very deep? Like I was in a class and like the teacher who taught it no longer teaches there, um, and it was like we learned no acting in this class. Like sure. no, we did not learn any acting, and the, t- the teacher was like. And if uh, there is a, there is a documentary about Stage Shore, and there is a scene in the documentary in which like this class I'm not in the class, 
though I, I that was in I think it later. Our, that, that was our second summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. But anyway, so this this guy um, uh, basically could do in a, in a circle and basically ask you like really personal, uncomfortable questions yeah. like um, uh, and the example which is on film for all of you to go enjoy, which was. He basically said, made everyone in the class say who they thought should leave the class because, like, they weren't talented enough. Yeah. Oh. And it's, like, a bunch of, you know, 14 to 17-year-olds who are, you know, in, like, no one's killing it at that stage of their life. And if no. you are killing it at that stage of your life, you weren't at stage yeah. four manner. No. And so everyone's, like, awkward and a teenager and, like, just hoping people like them. Oh, yeah. And you have to go around and basically say, like, which of which kid you think should be thrown out of the class. And everyone was like, this is how we become stars. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow. Lucas, what are some misconceptions about being a producer? Um, what are questions you're tired of ha having to correct when people are like, oh, you're a producer, so you must do this? Um, it's a really good question. I think that, um, I mean, I think that producing, I think a lot of people have a misconception that it is just raising money, or I think a lot of people have a conception, um, or I think a lot of people don't understand what it really encompasses, and I think that um, they also think that producers are uh, pretty commercial producers. I mean, there's, um, just to clarify, I, I'm a commercial producer, so basically I work on shows, and mainly you know Broadway's commercial, so these shows are kind of built as businesses to make money. Um, to hopefully make money, right? Don't um, say. Whereas a nonprofit, which has like a season of shows, um, like uh, the public or right. roundabout or something like that, um, are are set up differently. So they're not they're not for profit entities. Um, and uh, and so a lot of people think commercial Broadway producers are uh, like out for money, or it's all right. about the money in the bottom line. Um, I mean, that I is think... a nice tie. <laughs> just, saying. just saying. But I, no, but I think, I, I do think that that's a misconception because I think our job is to give the right resources to the creative team in order to make the best work possible. And that's like how the show is going to succeed. You know, we're not sitting there kind of counting dimes and saying, you can't have that costume. Mm -hmm. You can't have this. It's so, um, you know, I, th I think, one of the biggest roles of a producer is to really like facilitate the collaboration on the show. And it's not just among the creative team. It's also with, you know, your marketing folks and it's with your general managers and it's with, um, uh, your press agent and kind of everyone that works on the show and making sure everyone's kind of working towards one, uh, shared goal. Mm. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll let John talk in a second. No, uh, it's okay. I'm just enjoying this. Uh, well, so I, re I remember getting coffee with you right uh, around the time it was a, like a th three or four months before something rotten was announced to come to Broadway. Yes. And you, and you told me about it. I was like, yeah. this sounds like so much fun. Yeah. And then it was announced like, Oh, this is so exciting. I think that something rotten is probably the m best example in recent memory of a Broadway show where the marketing was so in tune with the show yeah. that mm -hmm. it really, it really rose the profile of that show. Like that people were talking about something rotten before it even opened because the advertising was so good. Yeah. And then, and no one felt bamboozled when they finally saw it. They're like, Oh, 
this is ex- yes, this is exactly what I came to see. <laughs> yeah, and there were so many smart little aspects of the advertising of, of like the lead up to because I mean obviously you're, a, an original musical yeah. is is a scary thing for a producer. I it must is. imagine because yes. it's you. There's the scariest, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> well, just because there's no, there's no, you. It's impossible to have a preconceived notion. Yeah. You, you, you literally don't know. But there were just so many smart little things. I remember. I remember seeing it in previews, and I remember. Uh, uh, what was it that you could get tickets during the preview that were the same price of the year that it was oh, set? Oh yeah, fifteen ninety five. Yeah, the fifteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I remember. I remember. Just, I think it was even for only the first or the second preview. But I remember. I, I saw the first or the second preview. and It was amazing. But I remember seeing that and going, "What a smart idea!" Oh, I'm glad because, because you're you're getting people in the seats. Yeah. If people don't know what it's about. It's it's going to be a word of mouth yeah. thing, and that's what it was in, in New yeah. York. Where, you yeah. know, like yes, the advertising, but one of the biggest allies to a new show was word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, I think, I mean, I think the, the, um, thank you for, for those compliments. And I, I have to say like a, a lot of the credit, um, uh, there was a, a big team of people who mm-hmm. worked on that. Um, Spaco is the advertising agency. Um, we and, don't need uh, a list. <laughs> Just take the compliment and go. Um, and, uh, and I believe the 1595, uh, idea was, I think it was, it was Kevin's and we were all kind of just brainstorming ways about, exactly how to get people and I, I really think at the end of the day it's all about word of mouth and yeah. the best thing you can do is create a campaign that accurately reflects what your show is mm-hmm. um and then have the show deliver um mm-hmm. because you know you can it, it, you know it's interesting i think that um i think it's kind of proven again and again it's like some shows are much easier to pre-sell than other shows because mm-hmm. they have a big star or a big brand or um a big uh uh a title or um and I think, uh, but, but I think it proves that like the real um, longevity of a show is really based on uh, word of mouth and, and yeah. the show really delivering on the expectations that the audiences walk into. So I think about that a lot on a show. And, and you have to think about how, you, how your advertising matches up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, for that show, we were all like, we just need to get as many people in here as possible mm-hmm. immediately and, and to feel like they won something because like i'm sitting in a great seat for mm-hmm. less exactly. than 16 bucks um and uh and i and i feel great about it yeah. um yeah and so we were like if we can f- fill the theater with like 1600 people who feel like they just felt like they like won something by being at one of these performances we're gonna generate some word of mouth for people who don't know what the show is or yeah. are like and what you, is that? And you, and know. you did like yeah, you, you truly you did, did that. Yeah. The show ran for nearly two years with no like major Hollywood names. That's, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm that's not of, based yeah. on anything. Yeah. like that's yeah. such a great achievement. Well, and if I remember correctly, uh, was there going to be an out of town tryout, and then that was kind of nixed, or was yes. there never going no, to be? Was, one? No, there was. There um, was. Which I always thought was I always thought was really brave of that yeah. because it's it, it's you know. So kind of basically what happened was we were supposed to go out of town to uh, the Fifth Avenue in Seattle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually remember, so we did a workshop of the show, and the uh, people from Seattle came to see the show, and uh, one of them just looked at us after the, the and it was like a really, really, the, it was the first time we did, it was the first time the show was on its feet ever, and, and Brian, uh, Darcy James, and Christian Borrell hadn't been in any of the previous um, mm-hmm. developmental stuff we had done, and it was the first time they were in it, and it just like all kind of really clicked. Mm. I remember someone from Seattle looked at us and were like, Oh, you're not coming to Seattle. Like, what is your, like wh- why would you do that? Um, and, you know, I think there's so much value to going out of town, like, even mm-hmm. if you're in one of those positions. But I think um, 
you know, theater became available, and we just felt like we need to kind of roll the dice and go for it. Because... Oh, they were being sorry. I totally took that as shade, not as them being nice. They're like, no, them being like, oh, you're no, not bringing no, this to no, 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 no. <laughs> it was like it was they're a like compliment. it's ready. Yeah, yeah. That's, they were that's, like that's great. They felt like they were like, yeah, it's ready. Why would you, you know? And right. so, and they were really phenomenal because we did we did have to, you know, we had announced it. And we actually we ended up having to. Um, you know, pull out of the slot, and they were really phenomenal because they were like, mm-hmm. go. You know, we were like, we just think go this is the, fly. Yeah, we were like, <laughs> we just think this is the right, um, the right decision for the show, and they agreed, and so we ended up, we ended up doing it. But, but because of that, we needed to kind of ramp up really quickly, um, yeah. and just get a lot of people in because it was a title no one had heard of. Yeah, you know, um, its authors are all uh, really well known in like their very specific circles. Um, Carrie Patrick mm-hmm. is. Uh, a screenwriter and um, a director of like a lot of very popular animated films and Wayne Kirkpatrick uh, actually wrote Change the World with Eric Clapton mm-hmm. and is a Grammy winner uh, John O'Farrell is like a very popular writer in uh, the UK um, but they weren't like household names that right. everyone kind of would say oh you know that's that's you know a, a songwriter I know so we're like we needed to get people in and start talking about the show and we also wanted because the show celebrated musicals we wanted people who were like those Broadway people who were going to see like fifteen dollars tickets to a show? Like we're going. Yeah, like, that's actually who we wanted to be in those seats. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and like get the chess reference and Act Two and all that crap. Yeah, yeah, right. It was written main for us. <laughs> um, okay, John. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I actually have another questions. question. Go for it. Sorry. So kind of then the flip side of that. Um, I mean, you've produced a lot of shows that I've just loved so much over the last oh, couple of years. Um, and probably one of my favorite shows, hands hands down, <laughs> over the last couple of years uh, was Hand to God. Oh, great. And so, uh, but I, I don't know everything about the trajectory of that, but I know that that play had been around for a while. Yeah. I, I know, and so I was wondering, was that something where you came, were you, were you involved, were you guys involved kind of from the beginning? Or was that something that kind of was different where it had kind of gained some momentum and then the choices were made? Yeah. Uh, um, interesting. A, a little, uh, a little of both. Um, so that um, Kevin saw that show, at um, yeah, because where was I? I was trying to think. Of where it, it was, was at the Ensemble Studio Theater. Yep. Um, and uh, actually, this is kind of a great story. The Ensemble Studio Theater is a great theater. Um, and uh, the director Moritz von Stupnagel mm-hmm. and Rob Askins um, and uh, Stephen Boyer, who was the star of that show, mm-hmm. um, and Stephen Boyer's uh, yeah. yeah, and Stephen Boyer's uh, now wife. So they have this thing called the Young Blood Company, and they did this thing where they. Um, Everyone basically created one-act plays, and they, like, drew names out of a hat, like, the first day. Um, and that's how they all met. Like, they all drew <laughs> names out of a hat. And so it was just, like, just think about, you know, one of them met their wife that way. And, right. <laughs> and they all met co- their collaborators that way. Like Draw really, more names out of hats. Exactly. Listeners. It's a great way to do it. <laughs> so anyway, so they had a long conversation with the, with the Novel Studio Theater. And um, and Rob really wrote this play with Steven and Geneva uh, in mind. Um and Moritz, so they did it at the Ensemble Studio Theater. It had gotten a little bit of traction, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Kevin went to go see it. This was before I had started working at Alchemation. I think probably, like, just a few months before. I think mm. it was, like, maybe three or four months before. Um, uh, and he'd gone with a producer named uh, Roy Miller, who also produced Drowsy Chaperone with Kevin, mm-hmm. um, who unfortunately passed away about a year later. Um, but he, uh, Roy was like, there's this great show, you need to come see it. Kevin went to go see it, and he said, you know, he, he, he walked up to Rob and was like, I really love your play. Is it done yet? Um, and Rob said, well, I don't think it's ever done. And Kevin was like, great, right answer. Because mm-hmm. the show was so great, but it, yeah. it still, you know, had some more to do. So um, 
so yeah, so the Kickstarter we're working on it. I started working on it when I started um, there uh, uh, in 2012, and then we opened up Broadway, I think, in 2015. So hmm. I worked on it for like three years, um, and it was uh, – so from there, we went to MCC Theater, which is another great theater. Yes. Um, they just opened up a whole new space um, uh, on 52nd Street. Uh, and so they, they really wanted to do the play, and so – um, Steven, Geneva, uh, Moritz were all there. We brought on a uh, new design team um, and really, really worked on the play. It was in a bigger space. Um, uh, you know, the Ensemble Studio Theater is like a super small, maybe 50-seat theater. Right. Um, you know, MCC was an off-Broadway 250-seat theater. Um, and the show just, t- you know, so we were involved in that entire process leading up to that, um, which was a multi-year process. And I think mm. that happened in late 20. Uh, uh, no, sometime in 2014. Um, and the show just uh, got a huge response um, at MCC, and people, you know, just, it was this, you know, got amazing reviews and huge, you know, it just, it all, it all went as well as you could be expected. And that's when it was like, great, this, let's move this thing to Broadway. Yeah, I remember the, the, the thing that I always just loved about. <laughs> That show coming to Broadway was, you know, you 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 hear about the theater being such a difficult business. It's a it's a difficult business for actors, for writers, for producers, for for everyone. Yeah. Um, and you know, there there's a such a huge um, there's <laughs> there's a lot of just guesswork and kind of just throwing shit yeah. against walls and seeing what sticks. And I mean, you you read or you think about what Hand of God is about, and yeah. or, and you and you just think. What an absurd premise for a play, but it's just one of those magical things where all the it seemed yeah. like all the puzzle pieces came together. Well, I kind of have a theory that like every piece of uh, theater that's like a really great memorable piece of theater, if you like come up with the logline for what it is, it sounds insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it sounds no. bananas. Right. You know, yeah. it's like if someone was like, "Yeah, I'm," you know, "I'm gonna do." Um, this uh, uh, like rock version of a Puccini opera, yeah, um, and uh, you know, but they're all gonna like live on the Lower East Side. You'd be like, oh, good luck, right? So you know, yeah. what? it's like, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, and now obviously we think like, oh, that's Rent. That's a that's a huge hit, and that's everyone knows that. So <laughs> Hand of God was a lot <laughs> John, like that. Honest thoughts. Sorry, um, I, I just hate. I hate <laughs> but, it's, but it's okay. But I, I get what you mean because right. it's you know it's like Fun Home. It's like lesbian cartoonist's dad right. kills himself. Yeah, right. Yeah, go. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like a, it's a, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, there was no reason for that show to work as well as it does. Mm. It just worked because it was like a f- awesome play, Cabral mm-hmm. Asked, the phenomenal writer, and the cast was spectacular. Stellar, and out um, of this world. And it just was really visceral and kind mm-hmm. of raw and emotional and, and real for back of the letter. Yeah. Like, um, and, uh, yeah, just, you know, and that's the thing, uh, the thing I think that misconception about producers is like, we don't, we, you know, we're not the writer and we're not the, the director and we're not the actors and we can do the best we can to steer the project in the way. But at the end of the day, like it all has to kind of gel mm-hmm. in the way. So it's like, you know, I, I have a lot of, I get defensive when people see some, you know, some, um, theater and they're like how could this have happened and you're like well there's a lot of ways to answer that question (laughs) but like you know when when this when five years ago you know someone said i'm going to produce this and let's go for this you know they there's there's a lot of there's a lot of twists and turns in the road that you can you know sometimes you look back and say oh maybe we should have taken the other way but but the intention is always to make really good theater um 
So, uh, so sometimes you just you get lucky and you have a hand of God where it like all gels together in a way that that feels really special. Yeah, um, yeah, that's and, very true. I mean, there's I, I the number of shows that just looked so good on paper that have mm. just blown up in our faces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I I remember to say how like, bonkers excited we all were for Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Like with that mm-hmm. team, with that mm-hmm. cast, with that source yeah. material. Like this is of course going to sweep the Tony Awards. Like why is anything else coming out that year? Yeah. And it was. I mean. There are elements of it that were really lovely, but a lot of it you watched were like, ah, oh, it, I don't think anybody was mad. I think everyone was sort of just sad. It was like this, something went wrong at some point. And when I know when you're in the room, it's hard to sometimes see like, what's the term? Like you can't see your hand for your face or whatever that term is. I don't know. Yeah. You can't see the forest for the trees. Hand yeah. face? You can't I see your hand no, to God I face. No, I, don't know. I have no idea what no, you're you talking can't, about. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're you're yeah. in the craziness and sometimes you can't see what's happening yeah. and then you put it up. Yeah. And, and I know, I mean, I have... Uh, friends who've worked on stuff for other Broadway shows that like I remember them being in rehearsals going this is really I think what we have is really good and I went and saw it and I very politely was like congratulations I'm so happy for you but like yeah and these are people with very good taste who've done other really great stuff no one bats 100 and it's a lot of it is trying to gel in luck and you know talent only talent and intellect only get you so far yeah no I mean it's it's I mean the 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 beauty and the um uh the thing that is wonderful and also the most uh, frustrating about theater is that like it requires other people to do like it is yeah. not it is not like writing a book where it's like just you you yeah. know what I mean like, and yeah, you, right even a one man show like Michael yeah. Biglia hundreds of people lots of people yeah. so it's like it, every single show is a collaboration it doesn't matter who you are or what you want to do or like how important you are like you have to collaborate with other people mm-hmm. and so um, every collaboration is different and some are really fruitful and some. Or not, and it's it's an interesting thing working on a show because it's like you have to kind of drink the Kool Aid in some on some level, or else like you just would not be able to put yourself into it the way that you want sure. to. Um, I think part of a producer's job is to like be, the, uh, is to be able to uh, be like the ultimate audience member and be able to say like. Uh, you know, be able to articulate the parts of a show that maybe aren't working um, hmm. as an audience member, but you know, most audience members don't go see a show and they leave and they're like, I think my emotional attachment to that person's arc wasn't <laughs> as strong as it needed to be and they lost me right. in uh, the second part of Act 2. Like, like that's yeah. not how a normal right. person thinks. They're just yeah. like, I liked it or I loved it. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a, a lot of our job is to uh, be in those rooms and, um, and kind of talk to the creative team uh, about, uh, you know, about our experience um as an audience member, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like, uh, in a, it, as I, I was just gonna say, as articulately as possible, as I stumbled over all of my words, um, <laughs> as articulately as possible. So I read Broadway World a lot. Great. Broadway World is a tragic place, and I love it so much. Um, <laughs> I used to have an account. I actually think I think I got made my account through your old email address, possibly. Um, <laughs> Lucas and I have known each other for a very long time. Long time, uh, but. I haven't posted anything in years. I just love to read it. And I love to read super uninformed opinions on things like it's fact uh, because sometimes people just give bonkers explanations for things. So, for example, this week we've had two announcements of separate Broadway shows closing. Sure. The Band's Visit and Anastasia. Uh-huh. Band's Visit has mostly been, for lack of a better term, older people who know the business and how things work, understanding why it's closing. Like, they read mm-hmm. the grosses and they go, of course. 
Anastasia has a younger following. And so their younger fan base tried to come up with reasons for its closing other than the fact that it was no longer making money. And as it, someone who has been involved in the day-to-day, I would like you to settle some scores for me in terms of running costs and grosses. Sure. Please, for our younger listeners, as we've now established we have. Sure. Um, Somebody said, and I quote, <laughs> Do you think one of the reasons is they couldn't find someone go- as good as Christy Altamar to replace her as Anastasia, and that's why they're closing? Is that something, if, it, if, this, if we're not talking like a star vehicle, like Patti Lapone is Anastasia, we're talking about like, Somebody, a very Man, good actor. That, that would sell tickets. Would sell tickets. <laughs> like if you, so like, would attend. Like, Journey to the Lapone. <laughs> Journey to the Lapone. But so like, say, let's say, uh, for example, something rotten. Uh-huh. Um, Brian Darcy James, phenomenal actor, but there's not like marquee name. Sure. Would you consider closing the show because you were unable to find someone who you found to be as suitable as he is? Um. So. Just to say, I will speak for myself. I do not know the you know the, the I do not work on Anastasia, so I do <laughs> not know their reasons. Um, and every show and every producer has their own reasons. Um, that being said, if you're asking me, probably not. I mean, I okay. think I think that 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 if you are um you know a show uh that is like <clears throat> I'll say this because this would be an extreme example um but like but like Mike Birbiglia's show sure. like mm-hmm. when if Mike is no longer able to perform the show like we're not looking for someone else to perform the show but right. it's him you know I mean um, there's there's several shows I think you know um that that are kind of built around the presence of one person that are sure. that are that are larger shows um you know one that comes to mind also not a show I worked on but I think a, a huge part of the draw and the event of uh, the audience with Helen Mirren playing that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in that case, when Helen Mirren no longer can play the part, um, they, uh, you know, they're, they're looking that that's, yeah. you know, and that was a hugely successful show. And, but they're like, we're not going to try to find someone else um, who's going to reach this level for a show that is a long running musical for something rotten um, for those other shows. Uh, no, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't close the show because, um, one of the, you know, yeah. one of the, 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 the leads was, was, there's a lot of talented people out there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people you can mm-hmm. find. Um, I mean, closing the show is, uh, it'll say, um, you know, this from uh, another perhaps misconception um, about producing. Closing the show is an incredibly painful process. Sure. I think people think it's this very, like, flip, like, we're not making money anymore, so we're yeah. closing it down. Yeah. Um, there are shows that close, um, or announce a closing uh, when um, they're still doing fine, or they might have had a couple losing weeks, but there's other weeks that are good, and and they decide, you know, we're going to announce a closing because we feel like um, that is the natural trajectory of where we're going, and Mm. we'd rather announce a closing and create some compression between when we announced and when Mm. we closed, so we're going to have good weeks between then. Sure. Um, A good example of that is Motown, actually. We decided to close Motown. I think we gave a a six-month's notice um, Mm. on the closing of Motown, and we were still making money when the show was, um, when we announced closing. It was not like we had started to lose money in the weeks. Uh, but I think we looked at the advance, we looked how things were going, and we looked at what the running costs of the show were, and we really thought, you know what, we think we can, we might, we can announce um, six months out that we're, that we're uh, closing, and give ourselves, and, and have really great business in that time, and recoup the show, um, and, uh, have a really phenomenal tour, which was starting, and then bring the show mm-hmm. back to Broadway 
in um, in uh, a year or so, and that's exactly what we did. So mm -hmm. that was what um, that was really. So it was really much more of a strategic plan, and I think we were we we're super open. Uh, in the press about being like, this is the plan. This is yeah, a strategic plan. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we're just really, um, uh, cause a lot of people were very surprised based on the grosses yeah. that we were announcing yeah. a closing. So it really, it, it, it always, it always has to, you know, announcing closing almost always has to do with looking at the, uh, financial picture of your show and how best to maximize it. And it's, it's, it's complicated, but in a lot of ways, a lot simpler in that, you know, you have a certain, as I said, like, one of the one of the, the the beauties and frustrating parts of theater is that like everyone has to show up every day to do their work. Right. Um, there's hundreds of people who go to a Broadway theater every day just to do one show, um, and you have to pay all those people and you have to pay them a living wage because they deserve a living wage. And um, and so uh, the costs are expensive. And there's a lot of other uh, you have to you know you have to pay your rental fees for your lights and your sound. You have to pay for um, the labor. You have to pay for uh, Costume repairs. Wait, wait, wait. You're actually yeah. so you're you're barreling into it by what my next question is going to be. Yeah. John knows this is me. Uh, another one is people's misconceptions on running costs. Yes. Um, so another thing that I love to read whenever the grosses come up on something, people saying, "Oh, such and such as grosses were low this week, but that should be fine, right? Its running costs can't be high. They only have one set." Yeah. So I'm assuming for all shows. Your running cost is not determined by whether you have one or two set pieces. It's determined by many other things. It's not. It's a huge. It's a lot of different things. Yes. Um, it's a lot of different factors. I mean, it's 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 uh, you know even on even on a, a one person show, um, mm -hmm. there are a ton of different factors that determine yeah. your your running costs. Um, and you know it's a long list. You could have one set of a show, but you could have three people in the show who are all making a significant amount of money because they're stars, you know right. what I mean? Um, or you could have um, uh, a show that, you know, a lot of people don't think, like, a show, um, the maintenance on big musicals, on costumes and on uh -huh. wigs, it's like, it's huge. Uh, yeah. You know, if you have a 24-person show, and let's just say the show is a period show, oh my God. Um, that's so many costumes. Oh, that's yeah. a lot of upkeep. That's a lot of wigs. That's a lot of labor you have to pay to, to upkeep all that stuff. Not to mention the fact that every time someone leaves the show and someone new shows up on the show, they need an entire new set of costumes. Mm -hmm. Every understudy needs an entire set of costumes for when they go on for a different part. Like it's, mm -hmm. there's a there's a, a ton of moving parts. Yeah. But one rule that is true is you do not get. Uh, charged per set piece in your show i'm just letting that be known you now do not, you do whoever, not whoever posted that on broadway everyone, world everyone matt matt's coming for your gig <laughs> matt, matt, matt's, matt's matt's here to give you the business that's he's why i'm tell you, he's here to yeah, say you fuck not, you you're wrong i'm not devoid of culture but my feet are on the floor it's a business it's a business i do the kama sutra with a richard rogers score I don't want to say to listen to this podcast episode will get you cast on Broadway, but we do have a Broadway producer here. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, what we, also have, we also have both of our headshots uh, <laughs> placed yeah. directly in front of him on the table, oh, and I've already slipped a couple in his coat. So. Um, wait, so actually, without naming any names, Lucas, yes. have people from your past been like, so, oh my god, congratulations, here's my headshot. 
Trust me. Have people oh actually gosh, done that have, to you? Um, right? I, you know what? I'll actually say no one has actually done that to me. That's great. Um, I have <laughs> had a couple people, which I am completely fine with, saying, like, can you um, help me get an appointment for a show that I'm working on? Which, which is like, and as everyone knows, it's like, that by no means means you're going to get a callback or anything. Right. But I'm, like, pretty much always happy to be like, yeah, yeah. tell the casting director oh, yeah. to get an appointment. So, so I've gotten that. I've gotten no one, like, very strangely who I haven't talked to in years uh, oh. saying that. What I have gotten a lot of is uh, people, and this is mostly my mother's fault, learning what <laughs> oh, house God. seats are and oh, coming gosh, out of the woodwork. Sure. Of like, hey, remember me? Oh, I God. was so-and-so's parent that you went to third grade with. I'd love to see this show, oh and I and and and, and even I, shows that aren't your shows, like mostly, mostly. Yeah. Like, how oh, do I get into dear. Hamilton? God. Mostly, how, people think you are the ticket master. Yeah, like they exactly. think that you are. are. Like, oh, this is a thing you can do. I, I will say, sorry, <laughs> just because this wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be in a podcast if I didn't um, uh, talk about some quirk of my mother in some <laughs> way or fashion. But she she used to call me for 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 tickets to my shows, and she would be like. I'm gonna call at work. Like the like the like the receptionist would be like, "Your mother's on the phone," and I'd be like, "She I'd, would call the office." She'd call the like office. Your line. Love yeah, that. Yeah. And I'd be like, so "I'm like, why are you calling the office?" And she'd be like, "Well, this is about work." And I'd be like, "Okay." Uh, and she'd be like, "Okay, do you remember Teresa?" <laughs> I'm like, no, who is she? She's like, oh, you know, she, um, she's like, she's my friend. And remember, uh, she also, um, you know, anyway, she recently got divorced and she's been really depressed about that. And so. Her daughter is home from college, and they're taking a girls' trip to New York, and they haven't really had a lot of time together. And, uh, you know, well, listen, the daughter's had a tough semester as well, right? You know, she thought she was going to be in pre-med, but anyway, she's not going to be in pre-med. She has this whole awakening, so they're going through a tough time. Anyway, they're going to New York, and they were wondering if they could get some house seats to play that goes wrong. I was like, I was like, Mom, you do not need to lobby for these people to get to, like – to to pay for tickets to see my show like don't right. even just send it to the house seat email address yeah I don't even know they're coming but she she would like she she would like lo- she would like come up with like a very long mm-hmm. PowerPoint story. presentation right. about like, why they should be considered for a house seat please tell me what you just told us was verbatim what she said because if that was all improv bravo it actually so it it, it is um it is it was improv but stage with, door manor training is that with, what that place was called backdoor stage, manor it was. Stage back door manor. Manor. <laughs> but that was it for you though <laughs> i don't know the um the uh yeah the that is not that is not verbatim teresa is fictional and i did make her up and i did make up her daughter but it's a template because like that is i got that call so many times and it was yeah. always like a variation of that um, and you would just be like, I'd be like, I'd be like, I don't need to know any of this information. She can just come. Like, yeah. she's in. She got it. It was, it was like, it, was, it was, it was like the bachelor where it was like, what tragic backstory does this person need oh, to have God, to like, right? to, to like advance to the next round? I was like, there's no rounds. Just like, she can come. I did not All foresee. welcome. I did not foresee us talking about the bachelor as much on this episode as we have. We've named out the bachelor like 10 times today. It actually, I'm actually impressed that cause you talked about it and I, um, I love that television. I'm, it is my guilty pleasure. I'm addicted to it. The I've Bachelor? I've never watched uh, it. Yes. Yeah. I watch it with, well, I will say, I watch it with a group of my friends from college. We watch it like football. Like we screen yeah. the screen. Oh my God. Fantasy League. It's really that. not for the faint of heart, but it is so 
stupid. And yeah. when you mentioned it before, I did not I did not say anything about it because I knew that then we would it would be a two and a half hour long uh, bachelor Christ. podcast and we would never talk about well, I mean, I anything else. That I should be that. the next thing you option for your next musical. It needs to be a musical <laughs> comedy drama co-directed by Casey Nicola and Eva Van Hoffe. And it's going to be like all the... Ne- I just saw Network last night, so I have like that staging of all the screens uh-huh. everywhere and the cameras. It needs to be that, but like with Casey Nicola tap dancing. So... Actually, yeah. That actually sounds great. I do it. Yeah. You heard it here, bitches. Do you have any projects coming up that you can talk about? Um, yeah. So, uh, we're working on a couple shows that we have announced. Um, one is uh, Deborah's product. Oh, um, with, with Stage yes. Door alum Shayna Taub. It all goes back to Stage Door. It fucking does. I um, love her. With uh, Shayna Taub and uh, uh, a young uh, upstart named Elton John. I was gonna say something. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Paul Rudnick. I'm so very excited about that. We're working on that. We're working on Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, um, uh, oh that's the, the whole time. The whole right, time, the, the whole time, time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, we're also working on the Notebook with Ingrid Michaelson, okay, and um, and uh, Becca Brunstetter, um, and those are the ones we've announced. And then we have a bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm working on a bunch of other stuff that I just optioned a, a book. I'm really excited about um, that. Is that'll come uh, down the road soon. Those are kind of early development stuff, but Brilliant. those are the titles that are out there at the moment. So Beautiful. look forward to those. Yes. Where can people find you on the Meads? Oh God, um, you can find me on Instagram. He uh, doesn't post often. I do not post often, um, but you know, well, actually, for a while, I not only had not posted anything, but I was also private for no reason, just because I thought it was funny when people had to request to follow me, and then like found out it was like it was like sending people presents with like nothing in them. Uh. They were like, I had to request him, and yet there's nothing here to look at. Literally nothing. Now I do post, and I am no longer private. So yeah. uh, you can find me there. I believe I'm Lucas McMahon on Instagram. Sure. Um, that's pretty much it. I believe I have a Twitter account that has gone unattended to for about five and a half years. So don't follow me there. No. Or don't do. Um, uh, but, but, you know, it's not going to be very entertaining. Um, yeah. That's okay. pretty much, that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Um, that's where you can find or Lucas. roaming the streets of New York. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In a power suit and tie. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. So that's, that's it for our podcast today, everybody. Uh, if you like this podcast please subscribe rate us five stars write us a review i am still waiting for our next review uh we've had some super he's games. so thirsty for these reviews i'm so it's thirsty ridi- for it's ridiculous re- i've i've challenged everybody I'm like write us something fucking gay because we've had some gay ass reviews oh calling us out for how gay we are and i'm just <laughs> waiting for the next one if you can please reference audra mcdonald or smile the musical one of the two i'll be pleased oh my um gosh. lucas every episode we close ourselves out with a nice big broadway diva uh would you like to do the honors this episode why don't we do you know i'm doing this to uh spite someone uh it's you ali paris that's lilius white Done. Never done her. Pick it. That's such done. a good idea. Good. Oh. I've been waiting to have that one. I said that like like Great. it wasn't. Like you don't my... have control. I did it. No, I did it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. And I and I, I managed to call out someone, uh, one of my friends in the process. Hello, Ali Paris. <laughs> um, that what a great choice. What that a is great a phenomenal. Step in the dark. I'm awesome. so happy. Thank uh, you uh, so so much for joining us. Oh, today. thank you guys for having me. Yes. Oh, this has been amazing. Uh, this has been Broadway Breakdown. I'm Matt Koplik. I'm done with the game. There. Oh, I'm Lucas. <laughs> He's Lucas McMahon. I'm, I'm Lucas. And I was here too. <laughs> he was here too. Um, and this is Lilius White. Take us away, Lilius. Bye. Bye.
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 